Welcome to the Becoming Your Best podcast. We're here to provide you and your team with the resources, tools, and content to achieve your greatest potential. For those interested in additional resources or services, such as the weekly planners, online planners for Chrome or Outlook, keynotes, live training, coaching, or certification, you can visit our website at becomingyourbest.com. Now, when you listen to an episode that resonates with you, we invite you to share it with your family, friends, and team members so that they can experience the same type of motivation and results in their lives. Also, if you haven't already subscribed, please hit the subscribe button. It works on Apple, Stitcher, Google, or whatever platform you're using so that you can get a new podcast reminder each week. Now sit back, let's get started, and we hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to all of our Becoming Your Best podcast listeners, wherever you may be in the world today. This is your host, Steve Schallenberger, and we have a delightful guest with us today. She is an experienced leader, consultant, and executive coach who is passionate about helping teams and organizations successfully navigate and evolve through change, something that affects every single one of us. Partnering with leaders and teams from Fortune 500 companies to technology startups, she has successfully supported large and small-scale transformation through practical advice and actions that simply leading through change makes a difference. So welcome today, Dr. Elizabeth Moran. (laughs) Thank you, Steve. What a pleasure. Thanks so much. Well, before we jump into this interview, I'd like to tell you a little bit more about Elizabeth. Prior to starting her company, Elizabeth Moran Transformation, she was Vice President of Global Talent Development at ADP, which is a huge name in the development and training world. Dr. Moran holds master's and doctorate degrees in clinical psychology from the California Institute of Integral Studies, a PCC level coaching certification from the International Coaching Federation, which is hard to get and a certification as a neurotransformational coach. She is the author of a new book, Forward, Leading Your Team Through Change, designed to make her practical change leadership approach accessible to all leaders throughout the world. So with that, let's just jump right into it. And the first question I have that I'd really like to focus on Just tell us about yourself, your background, including any turning points in your life that's had a significant impact on you. And how did you end up where you are today, Elizabeth? (laughs) Thank you, Steve. Well, I think like all of us, some of it is planned, but a lot of where we end up is usually these, once we look at it, these detours, the rerouting opportunities. So I've had a number of those. I started off just really not knowing what I wanted to do. And my dad, who was in business, said, well, you should get into HR. I'm like, okay. So I started there, mostly in recruiting, then was a generalist. And then quite frankly, I got very disillusioned with it. At that time, HR was, at least in my experience, it was a place where they put executives when they didn't know what else, where else to put them. I think it's come a long way. So did that. But when I was disillusioned, I decided to get a doctorate. That's when I was like, you know what, I'm going to do a detour, get a doctorate. And then I knew I wasn't going to be satisfied with a private practice alone. I wanted to get back into business. 
So I did that fundamentally because I didn't feel done with it. I still felt like, you know, organizations, i.e. people do a lot of unintentional, stupid things to demotivate people. And so I really wanted to really help leaders do things and lead in a way that would bring out the best in their people. So I meandered through different careers. I had, I'd say, another rerouting opportunity when Lehman Brothers blew up because I was there at that point. So I learned a lot. But then I, I decided I really wanted to get back in with a focus on specifically development, leader development, team development, organizational development. And then, as you said, my last experience was, was with ADP, and that was a wonderful experience. But I also knew I had at that time wanted to write a book. I've always wanted to have my own business. So I negotiated my way out in 2020 and finished the book. And here I am. That's great. What a background. I love it. <laughs> I love the fact that our listeners who are so amazing and we're so honored and privileged to have them listening in, it gives encouragement as they try to make significant contributions both within their organization or to really discover what they're all about and make that significant contribution. So hearing that people like yourself have gone through this and and ended up in a place that's really making a difference. That's awesome. Way to go. Thank you. Yes. And that, you know, that's when I, and again, I appreciate so much a copy of your book. I think, and this is one of the things I loved about the message that you have is we are whole people. There is no separating kind of personal or professional. You might communicate differently depending on the context, but you bring your whole self. That is one of the things I loved about it, a common thing that we shared. So that was great. Oh, that's a great comment is to bring your whole self. Yeah. And to be among the very best at what you do in the world. You know, that's the mark and that's an individual mark. You're not comparing yourself to really anyone else. It's becoming your best. And well, I would love to hear about forward. Tell us why you focused on that and tell us about the book how it is helpful to people. And, and then we're going to get into some specific questions because I can't think about many better subjects than this because we do face this almost every day. Exactly. Multiple times for sure. So for me, I've always been interested in the, the area of change. I have been so privileged to learn from so many of the greats out there, Cotter, Stacking the Deck, there's just so many wonderful books out there. For me, I felt there was a gap, however, in what was available. And when I started thinking about what I wanted to offer and try to be of, of service, it was less around broad scale tips and advice on leading through large organizational change, which had to do, as far as I'm concerned, managing both the project aspects of a change as well as the people aspects. For me and most of my work with leaders was how do I, as a people leader, lead through a change that neither I nor my team has initiated? So a change that comes down from decision makers above or from some other part of the organization. And the other thing that I was trying to tackle was regardless of whether your company had a change management practice or people, I wanted to provide a, a playbook for people leaders that when they had to lead through change, they had some of the tools and conversation guides and resources that would help them do that, specifically if they were encountering tough questions or concerns from their team. 
And so that's what I tried to cover. So they're amazing, like really 300 page books and research that has great tidbits, but it was very hard to source for the people leader through all of that. Mm-hmm. And then oftentimes there are great articles with bullet points, but there was still kind of a lacking of, well, how do I do this? Yes, I know I should communicate better, but can you please tell me what specifically to focus on? Or or if if I'm dealing with someone who's really struggling, how might I use that as an opportunity? So that's where I really tried to get in because that of the leaders that I was working with, which is really where a lot of this came from, was my work with talented, overwhelmed, under-resourced leaders who who needed some help. And they couldn't do everything. I'd say that's the last thing here. This isn't a boil the ocean approach. This is, let's focus on a couple of key things you can do in a particular order that might make it more likely that your people will buy in as opposed to resist a change. Okay, that's a great overview. Thank you for that. Now, you have, as we've kind of looked at this, five simplified neuroscience concepts that really every leader can use to their advantage. Do you mind walking us through those? Would that be okay? Sure, absolutely. So one of the things I found, and this is one of the reasons I love this, is how do you take actions and put actions in place that are actually based on something uh, other than intuition. And intuition is wonderful. And what you'll find, and this is one of the things I loved about reading your book, because I I think when we get to the golden rule, we'll talk about that or different things. So I'm curious your reaction to these. But everybody I've talked to, when I ground in this, it doesn't matter if they're technically minded or emotionally minded, they love this part. So this forms a lot of the bedrock from which uh, I offer actions and advice. So The first thing is what's called the threat of uncertainty. And our brains hate uncertainty more than anything else. And so what I tried to do with each of these things is to say very simply, what is it? And what does it mean for you as a change leader? And when you specifically think about uncertainty, what people will tend to do is they will make up information and create a story That helps them make sense of anything. So even if it's inaccurate, which is why we get rumors, why we get speculation. So if you as a leader aren't being clear about what is known, but also what is unknown, your people are going to be struggling because they're going to be making it up. And so the threat of uncertainty is a huge one for leaders to pay attention to. If you don't provide information, people will often just be left with anxiety. The next thing is negativity bias. And what that means is that our brains give three times more psychological weight to the negative than they do the positive. That ultimately is a way to keep us safe, right? We're always looking for what can go wrong. Once you're aware of this, you realize as a leader, if I don't have something that is positive, or something that could be positive about this, then my team is going to be focused on the negative and what could go wrong, which again, all of this uncertainty, negativity bias ends up creating a lot of anxiety, which when the more anxious people are, it hijacks their ability to make decisions, to take thoughtful action. So negativity bias is a big one. 
Switch cost is another one. So what I like to say is in our brains, we have an invisible geek in there that is calculating, is the reward for us going to be worth the effort to make a change? So in this case, whenever we make a change, there will always be a dip in productivity as somebody is learning something new and trying something out. Switch cost is a challenge because as a leader, unless you motivate or reward trying something and even making mistakes, most of the time people will not feel like the effort is going to be worthwhile. This is where you have people say, but we've been doing it this way for so long. Why do we have to do it another way? Well, they're invested. They feel like an expert. They know how to do it. Why do they have to learn something new? Nobody likes starting at the beginning again, particularly if part of your feeling strong at work is because you're the go-to person. So again, um, I talk about switch costs and how you can work with your team to overcome that. I just want to be sure I'm getting it and our listeners, are you saying risk cost? Oh, sorry, switch. Making oh, a switch, switch cost. Just describe that a bit more. Yes. So again, when we are asked to do something new or different, we are calculating in our brain, a lot of it is unconscious. Is it worth us making the effort to change? Okay. And in many ways, there's a risk element in there. So I don't so I think that's great that you actually said risk cost. So part of what you're doing is how are you going to reward somebody for trying something new? particularly if they were quite happy in the way they were doing it. Because it's easy. As you know, like driving someplace when you know how to get there, if you have to go a different route, it's frustrating because you don't have to think about it when you do it this way, but then it's something new. And so I give an example of switch cost of when I'm, I was in Italy and I, it was cheaper for me to live there when I was getting my doctorate first in San Francisco. So I moved there and I thought, oh, it'll be a great idea to learn Italian. Yeah. So it was a great idea for a little while until I actually had to work at conjugating the verbs. And it felt like my brain was going through just, it was exhausting. And even the encouragement of the Italian people wasn't enough for me to make the switch. So oftentimes we stay in the ideation phase. Oh, this would be great because the ideation phase feels good. Oh, I'd love to learn Italian or maybe, yes, we could make this change. But then when you actually have to start taking the action, that's when people can get discouraged and give up because it's too much. Thanks for okay. adding to that. That was helpful. Absolutely. The next one is um, analytic and empathetic networks. And this to me was a huge light bulb moment. So we have systems in our brains that operate and to simplify the analytic network is the part that helps us analyze data, stick to timelines figure out a goal, make sense of things. That's one part. Another part is called the empathetic network. And the empathetic network helps us both recognize patterns and look at things that are new. So you, you talk in your book, also your book about innovation. This is where innovation happens. We can see things beyond the practical, what's right in front of us. And it also helps us pick up on human cues and behavior, verbal and nonverbal. The kicker with this is when one is active, it suppresses the other. So you can't do both at the same time. Things to remember about this is usually we'll have a preference for one or the other. 
And the other thing to keep in mind is most businesses reward for analytic network activity. And unless you specifically as a leader are toggling between the two, because both matter when it comes to leading change, unless you toggle between the two, you are going to be missing opportunities here. But for me and in my book, I'm more focused on the people aspects of change as opposed to the project aspects. One of the other aha moments for me was I remember in places I'd worked, they'd have a project manager managing a change. And it finally made sense why it was very difficult for the project manager to think about how people were reacting to change because they were so focused on an outcome or specific activity that had to get done. They were in their analytic network. They weren't thinking about, well, how are people going to react to this? Right. So it's very important that people, leaders specifically realize I'm going to wear this hat right now or that hat. The last one was is optimism. And I think when most people think about optimism, they think about it as an end result to something that has gone well, and it makes us feel hopeful and good. In this case, what we know is that optimism is actually the fuel to create a positive outcome. And so I talk about in the book, things you can do as a leader that's, it's not about ignoring challenges or problems. And this also gets a little bit into the negativity bias. It's specifically scanning for the good. It's also at the start creating a positive vision of what could be possible, a positive outcome with the change and giving people time to think and talk about that, even if it's painful in the short run. So in order to do that as a leader, you certainly are talking to people about, listen, why this change? Not only what the change is, but why the change matters and including what happens if we don't change. But then that starts to getting your team to envision together what might be better for us, for our clients, for the business as a whole, if we're able to pull this off. What might success look like? Oh, my goodness. And what we... Oh, that's great. It's just not the five simplified neuroscience concepts that every change leader should know. And you've identified the challenges, but also what they should are going to be most successful at focusing on. So yeah, I like that. Exactly. I like that. Be clear and provide the positive, you know, in terms of the switch cost, help them see the rewards, right? That's what you're saying. Yes. So a specific example of how you might work <clears throat> with the switch cost aspect of your team is instead of rewarding a new activity that they would have to do, instead of rewarding perfection, doing it 100% correctly and getting it done, you would reward somebody trying and making the effort. Nice. So you give them a chance to talk about it. What did they learn? Even if it didn't go so well, that's fantastic. I'm going to reward you for that. Let's talk about it on the team. And I'm even going to celebrate that. That gives people more courage. And it also helps them with the with a lot of the stress that can come from learning something new when they know it's okay. And they will be celebrated for trying something new, even if it doesn't go 100% according to plan. Oh, that's an excellent addition. And then, of course, the innovation, dealing with the analytic and empathic network, right? And then mm -hmm. the optimism. Mm -hmm. 
so yes. that people have a reason to go forward. And well, exactly right. And this is why I think a lot of companies say on the one hand, we want innovation. We want people to think about it. But unless they understand the empathetic and analytic networks, they don't realize that really you might say you want that, but you're rewarding for the analytic network activities. And oftentimes you have to separate them out. So for instance, at ADP, when we had an innovation lab for new technology, it was literally pulled out and moved in a, to a whole different location. And now I understand why, because it's very hard to get innovation if the company is operating in the old way. People aren't going to think different. They're also not rewarded to think different. And, and a lot of what leaders say, I mean, you know this, oh, it's okay to take risks. And you're like, I don't know. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> Great. Analytic mind. Yeah. Versus the <laughs> innovation lab. Okay. Well, let's hit a couple of other aspects. Uh, thank you so much for sharing this. We've all heard that communication is so critical. We all know that. And yet some leaders do very well at that. And other leaders are really challenged with communicating change. They, they even are afraid to communicate What's been your experience about that and what role should communication play? Absolutely. So when I talk about communication in the book, I not only talk about, hey, here's some things you could actually say and some things you might want to consider before you have a conversation with your team. What I also say, it's not only about the what you say, it's the how. So communication in this sense is how do I create two-way dialogue. So in the book, I touch on when is it better to ask questions versus tell? So I talk about that. I also talk about what, to your point, what's going to get in the way of you communicating and what sort of the common things. So I have four common things that are usually the leader kind of thinks about why they don't want to communicate. And I think you you started to get there. One is that, oh my gosh, I don't think this is going to go well. My team is not going to be happy. And I, I, I actually don't, I don't want to deal with the negative emotion or I don't have time or I want to wait until I have all of the information I need about the change before I say anything because I don't want to make mistakes. So from a communication standpoint in the book, the first thing I say is start with yourself always. And if you have hesitancy to communicate, treat that as wisdom. Just don't stop there. So what I do is when I outline, hey, here are the four, as I just did, here are the four most common reasons I find leaders hesitate to communicate around change. Then I say, well, what's the wisdom in that? And I say, well, here's the wisdom. For instance, you would rather wait until you have all the answers. Yeah, I get it. Who wants to say the wrong thing? and maybe create more problems. But what I also say to that one is while there's wisdom, that has more to do what is best for you, which is maybe feeling comfortable because I have all the answers, versus what your team needs, which is information, even if it's incomplete. From there, so I tackle that. So feel good, know how you're feeling about it, trust it, but then see if you can do a shift on that to say, my goal when I communicate, let's for an example, say I'm hesitant because I don't have all the answers. If I switch 
my perspective here, which is my job isn't to have all the answers right now. My job is to start the conversation, give the information I do have, and then open it up and get as many questions as I can. And I'll know I'm successful when there's a ton of them that I can't answer yet. And so I help leaders, I hope if I'm inside their brains, shift their mindset, which I think you also know changes everything, to then you feel a lot more freedom and confidence about, well, what kind of conversation am I going to have here? Oh, this is valuable information. I love your ideas and thoughts. And how do you handle tough questions without losing control of the whole situation and having things go south in a direction you don't want it to go, but still invite people to engage because you want them to and you see the end game. And by the way, on this last one on communication, I appreciate that. It ties back to one of the challenges is the threat of uncertainty. I really see that people, they need to feel that they have some control here and understand it so they can make decisions. And it's pretty critical. Very critical. I would love to just ask you a question first, and then I will dig in. So for you, when you say, because I think you're 100% right, people are concerned when something goes south. So for you, what would going south be? Yeah, this is a really good example. You might have one division that's had contracts forever, significant contracts, and your partner, for whatever reason, because of the economy or supply chains, whatever, cuts the contracts in half. So how do you give encouragement to your employees in that particular division if they feel like things are going south and maybe they don't see a future, yet there is a big future? And this company that's been around for 40 years has certainly weathered those many times. That's what I'm talking about. And how do you move through that type of change and give them encouragement and some certainty when it's not an easy circumstance? Exactly. So I love the way you've set that up. So first of all, it's happened, right? Which is oftentimes many leaders, the, the change has happened. Nobody maybe involved you. So you might not be feeling great about the change either. This is why it's so important to start with yourself. I think sometimes, at least what I've heard, leaders feel like they have to be 100% on board with a change to lead through it. And this is when I'm saying, no, you don't actually have to be 100% on board. One of the things that you said there, which was very obvious, was, There are some negative stuff here. There's some things that are going to be scary to people. So I don't have to change that. I'm going to use my authenticity as a leader to say, hey, here's the situation. Here are some concerns I have. And if I was in your shoes, here's some of the things I'd be worried about. And thinking, actually, that particular phraseology, if I was in your shoes, I remember I saw a leader, and I give the story in the book, I saw a leader who was leading a division that was going to be shut down. So all 600 people were going to be losing their jobs. Now, that's not an easy change to announce. This leader decided to announce this change eight months in advance, which there were a lot of people who said, you shouldn't do that. People are going to leave. And she said, well, that may be the case, but I want to treat people with respect and dignity. I want to tell them what the plan is, and I, I want to give them the choice. 
And so, of course, they had retention bonuses and other things to keep people on board. But it was a it was a courageous decision because there wasn't a great way to spin that one. But what she did was first, when you have to talk about a change, no matter how it is, you can certainly prepare in advance. Again, if I were in their shoes, what would be the questions I have? What are the concerns I have? It's real. I don't have to be afraid of it, number one. It might be uncomfortable, and that's okay. Number two is my job isn't to make people change. That's not my job. I can't do that. My job is to provide the information that I can. And also, as I'm having the conversation, if somebody's upset about it, simply to ask them, well, what is it about this change that's upsetting to you? And simply listening. Once you do that, you can then find out how do I as a leader, knowing what's on this person's mind, even if it's difficult to listen to, and it's an uncomfortable conversation because emotions might be running high, if I don't have to convince them, how do I just listen and understand and treat what they're feeling as wisdom? So for instance, it could range from somebody, you know what, they're just upset because they really like the way things are going, but they just need time. They don't have a specific thing where they're saying, I don't like this and I think it's a bad idea. They're simply saying, oh, another change. I'm frustrated. Fair enough. Fair enough. Give them some time to get through it. And that might be all that they need. Somebody else might actually see something down the line, given their perspective, that's going to get in the way. It's going to be an obstacle. And as a leader, you would love to involve that person and say, help me understand what you're seeing that we're not seeing because that could be really helpful. So I present in the book the most common tough questions you'll encounter as a leader. And then I walk through how to handle that. When we go back to the ask versus tell, when we think about this, If straight up somebody has the wrong information, that's a good tell situation where you can be like, hey, let let me just let's just clarify. So we're both operating with the same facts. But if it's an emotion and they have the facts, telling is not a great option. And that's usually what a lot of leaders default to because they want to they want to get they don't have a lot of time. They're just trying to get it done. But you miss an opportunity when you ask. A couple of questions. Hey, help me understand that. I think I might understand why you're feeling that way, but tell me more. When you ask, you're actually not working as hard as a leader. You are giving that person an opportunity to join you to weigh in. That's the two-way conversation we talked about. So they will be likely to be more engaged. And also what I have found is most employees want to do a good job. They care about their clients. And if they see a problem, they feel it's their responsibility to let you know whether you can do something about it or not. So hearing them and understanding will make it much easier for both of you to figure out what would be needed to help them get on board. Okay. All right. Good. Well, I am always amazed, Elizabeth, of how fast these podcasts go. We're at the end. So before we signed off, we would love to hear any final tips that you have that would be helpful in navigating successfully change and ending up at the best place we can. So I'd say one piece of advice, which again, for me, goes back to the golden rule that you, that you highlight, which is 
if there's one thing you're going to do as a change leader is to stop and take a minute and say, if I was in this person's shoes, what would I need if I were them? So treat them like what you would need to be able to get on board with this change. Take a minute and think about that and trust that information. Okay. Well, great advice. We've loved it. And Dr. Elizabeth Moran, tell us how people can find out about you. Thank you, Steve. So people can follow me on LinkedIn. I'm there. It's Dr. Elizabeth Moran. Or feel free to check out the website, Elizabeth Moran Transformation, where if you have some interest in the book or doing some work with me, we have some great solutions that are available. And your book is available? It's available everywhere. Uh, Amazon, (laughs) Barnes & Noble. You could check out IndieBound. And uh, it's an Audible as well. Okay. I'm excited to get it. I can't wait. As soon as we're done, I am going to get that book and the Audible. Both helpful. So, well, we thank you for being with us. We wish you the best in all that you're doing. Thank you so much, Steve. I really very grateful. To our wonderful listeners, we're so grateful that you could join us today. We are humbled the fact that you would join us because we understand that you're working on becoming your best, open to new ideas, and that's precisely one of the ways that we can grow and make a difference. So we're wishing you the best today and always. This is Steve Schallenberger, your host, signing off. Thank you for listening to the Becoming Your Best podcast. If there was something in this podcast that you felt would be helpful for a family member, a friend, or even a coworker, we invite you to share this podcast with them now while you're thinking about it. Also, remember to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Now, for additional resources and tools, such as how to join our monthly peak performance coaching program, or how to get certified as a trainer or coach, or schedule a workshop or keynote, you can visit our website at becomingyourbest.com. We're here to provide you and your team with the resources, tools, and content to achieve your greatest potential. So thank you for listening and have a wonderful day and a great week.